cybersecurity is one of the hottest fields around. Do you have a kid who loves to game? Often young adults don't draw the correlation between this and the cyber field. We have one of the best cybersecurity experts in the field with us today. David Newman is the Global Chief Information Security Officer for iHeartMedia Incorporated, a $6 billion enterprise which includes iHeartMedia and Clear Channel Outdoor. Prior to joining iHeartMedia, he served as the Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer at Rackspace. He was responsible for global information security and cyber defense operations, strategic business alignment, and governance, risk, and compliance to protect the Rackspace $2.5 billion enterprise. David was an executive director and COO for Unstint Young, American Cybersecurity Practice. He also advised audit committees, C-suites, and operational leaders of Fortune 500 companies on the cyber threat landscape and modern protection methods for business and technological resilience. David served in the United States Air Force for 28 years, where he commanded the Air Force's first cyber hunt unit, defending key Department of Defense operations against national state attacks. He holds an MA degree in national security and strategic studies from the Naval War College, an MS degree in security administration from Bellevue University, and a BS degree in computer science from the University of Maryland University College. He's also a certified information systems security professional. We are thrilled to have Dave. Dave, I am so thrilled that you said um, yes to coming on my podcast. I've been trying to get Dave on for a while. He's obviously from his bio, an extremely busy individual. We had to reschedule last month, which was okay. I said, I will take your time whenever you can get it to me. And so I just have had the honor of knowing Dave, gosh, I don't even know how long. Um, my husband and Dave work together in the cyber world. My husband's a cyber guy. There's a reason he's not on the podcast. He was not invited. <laughs> <laughs> we won't tell him that. <laughs> There's other people that I thought I wanted more. I had someone else who said, when are you going to bring your husband on? I'm like, oh, this is not his thing. He does not want to do it. But I just wanted you First of all, as we well know, as everyone knows, if they are living in the IT world or have any concept, cyber is where it's at. It is exploding. You guys can't get enough individuals. But I just, I wanted you to kind of share your story of how you got into this field and why you got into this field and a little bit about your background. Yeah, sure. Happy to do that. And, and Dana, I, I couldn't be more pleased to be here. I'm, I'm your biggest fan. I think what you do is so important. Uh, for your clients, for students, and even for adults. Uh, I know you help a few, a few of those and had the privilege of also bringing my own son uh, to you and getting the advice and helping him make informed decisions. And he's doing great uh, be, in no small part because of the advice that you've given him. So thanks for all you do. And, uh, and thanks for letting me be a part of all that. So, you, you know, we talk about today and cyber. Um, it wasn't cyber when I started, right? In fact, I started in the era called BI uh, before the internet, right? So um, where when students had to go to those um, libraries, and for those younger people listening, those are big buildings that have paper products in them we call books, and we used to have to read them, so it was kind of funny. But uh, I don't know that my crucible is different, uh, but I, I, I certainly think it's shaped who I am. Blue-collar kid from Philadelphia, um, nobody had ever been to college. So are you a first gen? Yes. And, um, 
And so, you know, never really had much, but we had enough and strong family values that said, you know, don't mope about what you don't have, go out and make your own opportunity. No exposure to the military whatsoever, um, other than some kid around the corner who I just saw on home on leave one summer and he was in his uniform. I'm like, hey, mm-hmm. Joker, what are you doing? He told me about <laughs> what he was doing in the Air Force. And so I went and talked to a recruiter while I was still a senior in high school, and they talked to me about the benefits, that, uh, the college benefits that the Air Force offered and all these other things and opportunities to travel and learn, all the normal stuff that they talk about. And I said, you know what, that sounds like a great way to shape my own opportunities and make those. And that's what I did. So I enlisted while I was still a senior in high school as a wideband communications equipment specialist. It could have been wallpaper, and for all I knew, because I didn't really know anything about it. Um, and then, uh, and so and that started that journey and, you know, 28 years went by like that. And, uh, and I was a product of uh, great wingmen, uh, you know, battle buddies, whatever, whatever you want to call them, um, supervisors who set conditions for my success and greater opportunity and always encouraged me to go through. So, you know, I've spent time now in 14 countries, three combat tours, I did a bachelor's degree and two master's degrees while I was in the Air Force, um, was accepted after 13 years as an enlisted person um, for officer training school, and then went on to command the Air Force's first cyber hunting unit. So I grew in to cyber as it started to explode in the military and on the planet. So I was pretty fortunate from a um, right place, right time. Um, but you know, there's no organization, in my opinion, that'll challenge you like the United States military. We, uh, you know, we used to say flexibility is the key to air power, loosely translated in the civilian vernacular. That means stand by. We haven't figured it out yet. And mm-hmm. that's certainly <laughs> what we were doing when I grew up in the Air Force space, transitioning out of the Air Force when I retired, um, having done all the things that I did, the transition was easier. I had to go to kind of a language finishing school because, you know, as you know, from Rob's career, we'll full form whole paragraphs and acronyms and use a lot of different languages that nobody understands. So, so going to um, a a big four consulting firm, I joined EY as an executive director there because I had a unique perspective about cyber and the risk that it presented uh, to very large organizations and society in general. And that was something that was really valued and they set those conditions. Um, and, and, and then after having done that for a couple of years and learned an enormous amount, worked with sophisticated clients and, and great professionals who I learned a lot from, I was ready to take on my first CISO role. And that was at Rackspace. Uh, Rackspace was a full spectrum target, um, 300,000 customers in 120 countries in those days. So we had a lot of activity. We were burning a lot of uh, calories there and it was a constant cycle of improvement and changing and adapting. Uh, so that was, um, uh, that was extraordinary uh, in, in its own right. And then working just with fabulous people. That, that is at the core of almost everything that I do today is, is that I just, I find myself in the midst of just great professionals and good human beings that allow me to continue that journey. And of course, now at iHeart, having been there for almost two years and came there to build a program um, almost from scratch. And we've done a lot of things. And again, have saw the convergence of lots of different things and the changing of what is the cyber landscape today. Uh, I have a little bit of perspective on what I think is next on the horizon. So, um, so sorry if that's a little bit long, but you know, I think what it paints is, is that what we do today is not what we set out to do when we were first started. And you talk about that a lot when, when you, when you provide advice and counsel to, to people, 
is is that you know you don't have to make all the right decisions the first time out of the gate right it's right. a journey it's not a destination mm-hmm. and so and i'm a great example of that having having done all those things and gone to all these places and and, uh, and and seizing opportunities when I saw them, never being shy about that. Maybe because I wasn't smart enough to know the difference that something was going to mm-hmm. be painful or difficult. But uh, mm-hmm. but I certainly feel better for it, and it's a greater sense of accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think your career pathway is just fascinating on so many levels. First of all, <clears throat> you know when the military comes up within my clients, oftentimes my young men, obviously I have my young women, it will come out in their interests. And I always say, okay, let's talk about the military. I'm seeing this. Um, and it will, it differentiates enlisted or, or an officer. And I'll say, tell me what you know about the military. I find they know very little. They don't even understand the difference between enlisted and officer. They don't understand how they get their, their MOS, their, their career path. They don't understand the pay. They don't understand the benefits. They don't understand how long enlisted stay at places potentially compared to officer. So there's a lot of education that goes into that. The other thing that's really interesting is that oftentimes people think, oh, if you're enlisted, you cannot become an officer, which that's not the case. Um, And they also think enlisted individuals don't have degrees. And they sure don't realize that they have master degrees. So I educate that when yeah. you get into the military, as you know, the first thing it's like, okay, when are you get your degree, right? It's a highly educated workforce, which a lot of people aren't aware of. The other great thing is that military members transitioning into professional jobs, into civilian life. Right. Tell me how that was for you, because as you know, a lot of military members can struggle. Um, you know, it is a different work culture and what I have loved and respected, one of the many things about you is how successfully you did it, because that is an art. Um, so tell me about that. I, I think I was probably, I, I get a lot of credit for it, but I think it, being in cyber at the time when I was retiring from the military, there were a couple of things that were happening outside of cyber as well. There's never been an era, probably since uh, the World War II, post-World War II era, for an appreciation for military members, right? So I, I just think that there's just such a, a great appreciation for what our uniform members um, do today in the service of their country. So I think that, that that's part of the equation. Um, and, and sometimes that's perception more than it is fact. I tell people sometimes mm-hmm. that, you know, people that are unfamiliar with the military and you say, well, what did you do in the military? And you say, well, I was in the Air Force. And it's like, oh, did you fly jets? And it's like, mm-hmm. no, exactly, right? <laughs> I throw up on American Airlines. So no, I didn't fly a jet, but I did this. <laughs> or the opposite end of the spectrum, they all think we're Navy SEALs, right? And mm-hmm. maybe sometimes we let them think that a little bit. But, but, but they are enamored and, and they're instantly impressed because you come to the table with credibility, right? Instant mm-hmm. credibility. It's like, like, I know what I'm talking about. I have done this at the national security level uh, along with great guys like Rob Reeder, Lieutenant Colonel Rob Reeder and the rest of us, right? <laughs> so uh, real time. So it's instant credibility for the subject matter on which you speak. And then the other thing is the courage in which to say, I have a perspective. You know, the military wants to hear those things when you do that. Contrary to popular belief, it's a bunch of us marching around in, in formation and never mm-hmm. speaking our mind. It's quite the opposite, in fact, when we're dealing with complex and wicked problems. is is like, I have a perspective on this. And I think this is how it is relevant to these organizations. So I think the fact that combined with what my wife Sharon calls the gift of the gab and being mm-hmm. able to articulate those things is what was really appealing 
um, to Ernst and Young. And, mm-hmm. and the position that they put me in was twofold, right? Was to shape the strategy of the America's practice, um, which was a, just an enormous, um, you know, fortunate opportunity for me to get to work with such extraordinary people and then to take that strategy to some of the world's, you know, most successful companies and clients. And then you learn as you go along. And it's not just what you say or your perspective. It's what they teach you in return. So I, I think it's a combination of the perspective uh, the perception of somebody uh, in a career that I was doing, and then the opportunity to deal with such sophisticated people uh, and sophisticated clients who helped me shape and grow that perspective. Because this is not something that's static. I mean, cyber today is not cyber that it was 10 years ago when I, when mm-hmm. I or uh, seven years ago when I retired from the military. Even. And it's not going to be the same two years from now. So I, I think that those things kind of converged into helping me um, shape an opinion. And then I think the other piece was I have a, just I'm drawn to people, right? And, you know, it's, it's people that accomplish the mission. Uh, and I think that that resonated with the teams that I work with. Uh, mm-hmm. And I always enjoy that. It's another thing about our community is, is that we have to overcome some things around some social ineptitude, right? We have super smart people who don't want to talk to people, right? Mm-hmm. They just want to get on the right, keyboard right. or they want to do things that do that, but that's, that's not enough, right? You have to be able to articulate right. what you do and why it's valued. So, and I help those people grow in that respect. So I think that is probably what made my transition a little bit easier. It's probably less about me if I'm honest, and it's more about the the era of the circumstances and the brand that I brought with me having been an airman for 28 years and mm-hmm. done some pretty incredible things because I was given the opportunity and, and, mm-hmm. and was fortunate to do so. Right. Well, and for a lot of our young adults, um, you know, it's one thing I just, uh, we have to figure out how to change this is, you know, and I'm going to say computer science in yeah. high school, yeah. we cannot get, teachers to come in to the classroom and teach because they're making so much money on the outside. And then what happens is that students aren't getting exposure to computer programming, computer science, IT, cyber, all that. We do have, I mean, we've got magnet programs, um, CTE pathways that provide some of that, but one cyber or one computer science teacher for 4,000 students at a high school in San Antonio is not enough, in my opinion. And then what happens is that when I work with them, they realize, oh my gosh, I am a natural aptitude, multiple areas of all the things that are required, 15 different levels of aptitude to be in the IT field, the cyber field, is a match. It's a perfect match, and they want to do it. But they have had no exposure. So then they're like, huh, well, I've never considered IT or cyber and, you know, IT is computer science is an umbrella and everything is under it. But how do you, what recommendations do you give to high school students to get their feet wet, to get an appetite for this incredibly high demand field um, when they're 14, 15, 16, 17? I, I think, first of all, there's a lot of... Um, information at their fingertips, right? They don't have to be part of an organization or a club and all that stuff, but they, I don't think it's one answer for them to do all those things. There's so much learning opportunity uh, available today in many different forms that are specifically oriented towards these kinds of things and giving people not only exposure to those things, uh, but the opportunity to get fingers on keyboards, right? And start banging around with it without doing any harm. So there's that piece. 
I think there's other things too where you have to really work hard at the partnerships. There's not a city in the country that's done a better job at things like Cyber Patriot um, yep. uh, than, than our great city. So, so, yeah, and, and then I think that, you know, we have to be more involved as professionals. I think that we have an obligation. Look, if we're, if we're going to say that this is, this is a national or global imperative to, to be better at these things, then civilian companies need to commit some time and resources mm-hmm. and people to these things. And they do, but to mm-hmm. yourself, yeah. the, to your point is, is, the demand is just higher than the supply. And right. so how do we kind of continue to do that? And then I, I feel like what is probably very helpful is to bring those together and in, into some kind of place where students can then engage and go, you know what, I like this. I'm going to learn this kind of this Python. I'm going to learn that on my own. I got to cite this resource and then I'm going to go participate in a cyber Patriot program at mm-hmm. my high school or even my grade school now. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and right. then, Maybe my teacher is going to have a guest speaker come in. And so all these different exposures help them to shape more interest first and foremost. And then, but the path to greater learning needs to be more well-defined. It just changes so fast, right, Dana? Right. And, and I, th- I feel like, so therefore it's never going to be a track. By the time you get a track or a curriculum developed, it's probably going to change anyway. So it's mm-hmm. got to be very, very flexible in that respect. So but um, community programs are doing great jobs in pockets and cylinders. We just need to help students have greater awareness on where those cylinders in so that they can pick and choose what is, is best for right. them. Well, and I, I, how many girls, young women are aligned for the IT field and they just have no idea. And it's intriguing because when they see it in black and white, like it's a good personality fit. It's logical. It fits all the boxes that, that makes up where our IT people. And then it's all of the interest codes, which um, is conventional. It's process, right? You have to have a process. You're solving a problem, which is investigative. And you're working with your hands oftentimes, yeah. you know, the realistic part. And then they see, oh my gosh, my aptitudes, my how my brain works is so aligned with it. It shocks them. It's like, what? Like that wasn't even on my radar. Yeah. So what I'm so passionate about is just saying, okay, let's open up your worldview, consider these things, and then let's look at growth, which is off the charts, by the way. And I did cybersecurity um, specifically. Um, Department of Labor says 6.5 is healthy growth. Within the U.S., it's a 32% growth. There are 13,000 jobs that have to be filled every single year. Mm-hmm. And within Texas, we have a 33% growth, and actually 10,000 of those are in the state of Texas. Wow. And, and I mean, they start at six and for a bachelor's degree, that's what a majority of the people have yeah. um, with some post certifications afterwards. Um, they're starting out around 60,000 average is a hundred. And then high can be in the state of Texas, 160,000. And right now within indeed, I go out because again, I'm a researcher, you know that I sure. want, I'm just totally driven by numbers. Indeed, in the state of Texas, we have 2,300 jobs that have to be filled right now, right wow. now. And this is in a pandemic with COVID. Yeah. And in the U.S., there's 40,000. So it, there's the demand and the possibility and the alignment of a four-year degree, which, as you know, as certifications is a big part of, of this career field. And you even kind of mentioned that some universities kind of struggle to keep up mm-hmm. because the world is changing so quickly. Um, I mean, it's just the opportunity is just completely endless. Yeah. And, and so, you know, with that kind of landscape, 
you know, people that are coming into these, uh, into the workforce, you know, there's just so many opportunities, not from a job opening standpoint, but the, you know, to say, you know what, I just want to learn more about this, right? right? Can you mm-hmm. take the turn, uh, take the, the time to educate me on, well, what does it mean to do X or Y or Z in this community? Or where do you think the next thing is going? Um, but, you know, the world's their oyster uh, with just a core set of skills uh, because, because it's going to change so quick. I heard a, um, I read a fact that said that most undergraduate students here, you know, what they're learning in their freshman year will already probably be irrelevant from a technology right. standpoint by the time they graduate. So how incredible is that? So I think it also goes back to, you know, what are the core things that you need to study or participate in to be able to do those? And um, I just think that there's just bags and bags of opportunity. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if I go right. back to like what I was talking about and, in the eighties, when I, when I joined the military, technology was big radio systems. Mm-hmm. Computers weren't even a thing then, right. You know, unless they were big mainframes and those kinds of stuff. So it was mostly circuits and technology and broadcasts and those kinds of things. Um, now, you know, and so that was very niche and, and you had to get into that. Now it's just so broad and you mm-hmm. can do so many different things. And what we're finding is, is that in the community, when you're in the workforce, that also presents other opportunities. Well, today I'm a cyber analyst and I'm monitoring and detecting for bad guys and doing this thing. You know what I really want to do? I want to move over to site reliability engineering um, because I want to do start doing things as code, infrastructure as code, all these things as code. And so what's that path between those two points that allow me to do that? The smart companies are facilitating that growth either laterally uh, or vertically, depending on what the ambitions of the individual are. Um, so, so I think it's not just about the job openings that are there now, but once you're into the workforce, they become even more mm-hmm. opportunistic in what you're doing and how you're doing mm-hmm. it. Right. So one thing I want you to talk about, um, because it is probably when one of the biggest contentious conversations I have with parents when they come in with their, their young adult, typically it's young men, but by the way, girls are gaming just as much as, as young men. Um, but they come in and they say, okay, all, and I'm going to, it comes from the, typically from the young adult. So all my son does is game. Like, you know, he wants to be a video game designer. Um, a little bit of frustrated frustration. And so I explained to him typically, and I mean, it's not even a stereotype. It's the reality. Cause I have the science behind it. Mm-hmm. They're high and spatial. They can take two dimensional objects and rotate them into three yeah. and they have a high hand eye coordination. So it, they go and game because first of all, they're great at it because they're good at it. It's the way their brain is built. But what I'm passionate about is saying, okay, well, I want you to kind of think about how gaming and cybersecurity can actually kind of be a bridge or a marriage. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, I think that whatever your kid does, you should nurture, right? And Mm -hmm. by the way, these these words roll off my... um, my tongue pretty easily, but I didn't <laughs> practice them as a parent, by the way. So, you know, you never to, do, right? You know, I, Sharon likes to say, you know, don't confuse your ambitions for your kid with your ambitions, right? Mm. So, nurture where they're at, right? If gaming is what they love and they have a passion for it, then, you know, help them expand what that's all about and doing those things. And I think you get two levels of folks that, that are doing gaming today. 
you have technology adopters or users, and then you have these deeper folks that are like, well, I'm going to program something specific about this game. And you have to, Mm -hmm. you have to get your box connected to the network. You have to be able to do these things. There's maybe configuration stuff. Those are all desensitizing you core technologies that Mm -hmm. those games ride on top of. If you have a deep interest in it, you want to write your own game. That's really, really, really prudent too. And, and I think that as we look over the horizon, it's going to be relevant in information technology and security. I talk in terms of things like human interface, trusted transaction, and AI, right? Mm-hmm. That's, those are all going to be gaming type things if you want to make that comparison or a, a close analogy where we're at today. So being at the ground level and helping understand how those things come together is super good. The other thing is, is that it is a gateway to other things. And I'll give you an example. When we lived in Hawaii, uh, I had a friend who ran the C-17 simulator, or her husband did. And, you know, that's a, the C-17 is a big cargo aircraft. Uh, that's the backbone of, of military airlift today. Um, we got Cameron, who I think at the time was maybe eight or nine years old, time in the simulator, which is what pilots train on. And mm-hmm. it's an amazing piece of machinery and technology. And he gets in there and they have these instructional things that they run those the pilots through and they ran they have these guest ones that they run this my eight-year-old nine-year-old kid through and he was the natural at it and i was just like wow that's really cool instructor pilot looks at me says hey dad you want to have a go i'm like heck yeah i got in there and it was a disaster i mean i was just like all all over the place and karen said something to me like dad just keep it at zero eight zero and and you'll Uh be fine i was like what are you even talking about Mm -hmm. and and the instructor pilot told me any later he said his generation, what he does today with technology desensitizes yeah. him to the very thing that pilots experience today in a cockpit. Mm-hmm. Think about that. Somebody that's gaming today is light years ahead of where somebody has, can intellectually appreciate what a, what what an aircraft does and how it does it is light years away ahead of me and able to operate something like that because mm-hmm. of the gaming thing. And that's just one example of how that's right. a gateway. So this nurturing combined with understanding the landscape with, uh, you know, I, ironically, there's a lady that I know named Dana, a reader who could help them understand what all those paths are. Um, those are the kinds of things that I think that, that can be nurtured. And of course, you know, in an effort to have fun in the game or do something that you're not supposed to do with a game or technology, you're going to open up crazy holes that in, in, in your, and expose your technology platforms to a lot of things. And then that's another pathway to understand how to secure all that stuff and do it in a safe and resilient way. Yeah. And it's interesting because a lot of young adults don't realize that one of the biggest employers of video gamers is actually the Department of Defense or um, contractors who have um, agreements with the Department of Defense. So when we start doing the research and go, okay, let's look and see who's hiring video game designers. It's, I will leave them nameless, but you know who they are. I mean, they're the big defense contractors and they're like, what? And they don't realize that, you know, so much of training is creating videos for military members to be able to practice on, hence simulators and that kind of stuff. Funny enough, I took my daughter to um, uh, flight safety here in San Antonio, and one of our friends connected her to have an experience to fly in a flight simulator, and it was the exact same thing. She was a total natural at it. I am flipping out. I am, they're like, push that button. I'm like, what button? And what's interesting (laughs) now for pilots, it's much more about visual comparison speed because there are so many, I'm going to dumb it down, buttons and flip switches and all that. 
and you know the electronics you have to be able to process all of that imagery yeah. um to make decisions along with the hand-eye coordination and, and the spatial so yeah it's it's kind of funny to to draw all of that together yeah and and again just gateways to all these other things that are that are potentially uh really uh, super opportunistic. I'll, get, I'll tell you something, something you touched on earlier that this perception that enlists people don't have degrees and it's going back a little bit, but a, uh, a friend of mine who's uh, still in senior officer now is actually in the United States Space Force. I have to say that slowly because it doesn't roll off my tongue. Uh, <laughs> but, but he was telling me the story about when his dad was in the Air Force um, he was like an NCO or something. He, he was, uh, he had an A1C that worked for him that had a PhD in computer science. And the reason that that individual joined the air force in those days was the only place that you could work on big programs, which is in those days, big computers was all about memory management and code. This is the only place that you could do that kind of work and really get hands-on experience was the department of defense. And so here's a guy with a PhD who enlists as a junior member to do all that stuff. And so, so I think you see this weird kind of roller coaster of opportunity and education, vocational, you know, hobby things that that really come together. And I, I love that complicated landscape mm -hmm. uh, because mm -hmm. you know it's it's almost like a a buffet of treats that you can say, you know, I'll take a little bit of this, I'll take a little bit yeah. of that, and it's just it's great for somebody that's just not just coming into the workforce, but is thinking about maybe something that they want to change and what they right. do today or how they want to reboot their career. It's very interesting. Right, right. And that's why it's funny when people say, oh, well, you know, I just take a, an assessment online and, and look at careers and, you know, why would I, you know, need to engage with you? And I'm like, first of all, I'm full, full of useless information and knowledge <laughs> <laughs> that I have obtained over all the years. But selecting a career is extremely complicated. It is. And what I know for sure is that in high schools, what we're talking about is, okay, where are we going to go to school and how are we going to pay for it? And I know that with love and respect because I have a daughter finishing up her MBA and I have a junior in high school and it has not changed in the five years that they're different, no matter how much I'm up and screaming and yelling and jumping up and down. And so we have to change the dialogue. We have to first talk about what are the careers? How do we make those career? And then what is the major to get there? Then what universities have it? And then do we align academically? So that kids are set up for success and that the worldview is opened up to what's even possible. Yeah. I'm just so, so, so passionate because I pull from 500 careers. So there are careers that people had never, ever thought about. And it is cool when I work with individuals and they're like, oh my God, I didn't know that was a thing. And it combines this and this and this and this, and there's growth. And, you know, I want to live in, you know, Missouri or wherever, and I can get a job and it just gives them some solid foundation. Um, and what I just think is so interesting with the cyber world is um, it is changing quickly. You have to be curious. You have to have integrity, Right. I mean, goodness, I honestly would not want to be in your field because I would feel such, so much responsibility if something did happen and I was in charge. In fact, I had um, a high, you were joint friends with him, um, who I used to invite him to speak or do things and he had to tell me no because he was scared that he would be put on the radar for potential 
attacks. And you, I'm sure you have to think about that in the world of today with the way things are. Um, It's just, you know, there's so much risk that's out there. You hear it on the news all the time. Yeah, it's definitely, it can be a little nerve wracking sometime. Um, But so can combat. So can uh, high school (laughs) varsity football games. You know, I I mean, maybe those are weird analogies, but it's how you channel uh, that energy and what you do and, and, you know, make people up for the challenge, right? You'll come right. back to people at the end of the day. It's just like, you know, it, it, to be honest with you, I, I say this all the time, 80% of, of security is in it and business resiliency, right? So mm-hmm. if you're not partnering with people around you, um, and, and to make things, um, more resilient, robust at what I call at provisioning, as to trying to secure it downstream, um, then you're shortchanging yourself. And by the way, it's better to have tag gigs in your in your crowd, in your gang, whatever you want to call it, than than just two security people. So, uh, so, and and I used to tell people all the time that security is a team sport. And while individuals can be exceptional, teams of exceptional individuals are unstoppable. So that's the way you should approach these things. And and um, and those dynamics help build confidence and readiness and all those kinds of things. So organizations are, are, are better set for it. And uh, I do want to kind of come back to something you said earlier is just like, what I think that you do is answer the why, right? You answer the why. It's like, I want to be a pen tester, penetration tester in cyber. Why? Why do you want to do that? Right. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, because it's really neat. And I'm like a hacker. Why do you think it's like that, right? Have you talked mm-hmm. to anybody? Do you know what the long-term right. prospects of that part of cyber are? And so you help answer the why. Um, people should be asking why, asking themselves why. Um, I, I get asked all the time, you know, hey, I'd, I'd like to be a CISO. What do you think that I should do or how should I get there? And I'm like, well, why do you want to be a CISO? What, do you, what does mm-hmm. he think a CISO does exactly? Right. And right. um and something Cameron said to me when he was in the army, he said, dad, he said, I love being in the army when we do the stuff that soldiers do. He said, but 80% of the time, it's just BS and we're not doing that. And I was like, so mm-hmm. that's not the army. That's life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like You do mm-hmm. the 80% of that stuff to get to the 20% you, you love. And so it's different for different parts of the community, but you have to ask yourself why you want to get to that 20%. Mm-hmm. And if you're prepared um, to, to strap that on and, uh, and, and make a difference. And it's never about the individual, right? It's always about what you're part of, in my mm-hmm. estimation anyway. Um, and then it should be an important part of your why calculus. Yeah. Part, as you know, of the working with me is that they have to do informational interviews with their top four picks. Yeah. And I say, you know, I can know a little bit about everything, but that's why you're the expert. That's why so-and-so is the expert. <clears throat> and until you talk with them, you can't really articulate and say, yeah, I want to sign on for this. Um, I, and it's so important. And I will tell, I want, I will, t- I tell anyone who will listen to me. I know a bazillion people in the world. I think that's a gift of living the military life. Um, I truly love and cherish my friendships and relationships as part of just who I am. Um, from that I've had, you know, 50 years of friendships, literally friends I've been with for 50 years. I have not 
come across anyone who is more committed to mentorship, to saying, yes, how can I help you? What can I do for you? When I call and say, hey, I have a client who's interested in cybersecurity, they, will they talk with you? Dave, not only do you say, yes, I'll talk to them, but hey, I want them to come into Rackspace. I want to give them a tour. I want them to see what we do and how we do it. Um, I say, hey, you know, could you hear somebody who's looking for a job in the IT field? I will connect them with three people. You are the epitome of what I think is a professional mentor. And you are the most authentic individual that I, truly I, I have come across in I can't even say, and that I'm not sugarcoating this or, you know, pumping you up, but those are traits. I think sometimes that has been lost in our fast paced society. And I think it's what has just made you such a thought leader in the cyber world, why you continue to rise through the ranks and companies hold on to you and want you. And I mean, you just really are, I think, an incredible person who, um, is always looking at how you can get back. It's not about you. It's never been about you. It's about how you can grow the world and in the cyber world and, and help others. So I'm really honored I get to know you. Yeah, no, thank you for all those accolades. I um, I think we should end the call now because that just makes me feel so good. Now. <laughs> just kidding. I, I, look, I, I, I love doing those things. People don't realize that I probably get more reward out of that than the people that I'm maybe helping along. It's just so, so cool. Um, my greatest reward is maybe helping somebody think through something or achieve something that they've done on their own and just watching them be so proud of it. And, uh, and I feed off of that energy. I talked to this great kid a couple of weeks ago. You might know her. Her name's uh, Maddie Reeder. And uh, she called <laughs> me and asked me some, uh, some questions about some things, but her enthusiasm of just about life and all those things. So she, she's a diamond in the rough that like any, any corporate leader would hire in a New York second. And, um, and she's, she's the quintessential kind of person that I love to help because they're enthusiastic, even though they got all this energy, they're not quite sure where they're going yet. Um, how rewarding is that to help them say, well, let me help, maybe help you understand where you're going and help you understand, um, how to create opportunities and make informed decisions. And if I can do that, and then they, they take a simple pay it forward equation and they do it for two people and two people and two people, and two, people and two people, man just be a better planet, I think, uh, let alone mm -hmm. maybe a little bit better at some of the stuff that we do professionally. So, um, yeah, I, I feel like it's something every leader should commit to. And, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm really hard. I'm, I'm very grateful for our relationship and we'll be able to come together and help people like that. So be part yeah. of the network. Yeah, I, I agree. So, so I end on three words of wisdom mm. um, people can share with listeners. And obviously you've given a ton already, but do you have some takeaways that you'd like to put on people's radars? I do. And they're less about three words because you know what I'm I know. I need to rephrase that because yeah. everyone says, I have more than three words. I'm like, ah, I know you do. I know yeah. all my friends do. Yeah. I, so, so I'll start with this. The first thing is, is anything worth uh, having is worth working hard for. Right. Mm. And, um, and I've had to work really hard for everything professionally mm -hmm. that I've done in my life. And, uh, and it comes with greater reward because commit, if you want something and you think it's valuable, commit to it because mm -hmm. half measures, um, really only result in half the reward. So 
commit, right? You know, anything worth worth having is worth working hard for. By the way, my boys are writing a book on stupid stuff, as their dad says. And <laughs> I say stuff like cheap and fast doesn't last. And they just roll their eyes and make fun of them. But you know they're going to say it to their kids. Yes, they will. <laughs> we all do. <laughs> um, the second thing is you can't score if you don't shoot, right? Mm. Um, the greatest opportunities are those that you go after or you make yourself, right? Mm. Um, and so be bold, be courageous, ask, right? The worst that anybody's going to say is no, or I can't or whatever. That's fine. Find the people out there that will say, yes, I will help you. Yes. I think this is a good idea. So be bold and, and, and take the shot. Right. And then the third one is development is a journey, not a destination, right? Mm -hmm. Be in a constant state of improvement, discovery and learning. Um, so you'll always be ready to seize that next opportunity, right? Yeah. I was talking to a colleague today and he was like, you know, you know, I've been doing this for this long. And I said, look, it is healthy to think about what you want to do next all the time. It may be in the same job with the same company, but thinking about how you want to do it differently or better, or how you want to improve yourself. That is a constant cycle that we should always be in because otherwise we'll just be bored. I mean, maybe some people want to be bored. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but, but I think that it's, it, it makes life more exciting if you're in that kind of constant discovery state, constant cycle of improvement and learning. I learn something new every day and I'm an old dog and, mm -hmm. uh, and I love it. And, and it becomes part of the portfolio and things that I can share and bring other people together to collaborate on. So those are the three things that I think I, I, I boil up, you know, um, 35 years of professional experience and, and different activities maybe I'll give you a fourth. Can I give you a fourth? Absolutely. Uh, failure is feedback. Um, mm -hmm. Don't be afraid of it. Uh, if, you know, if you never try something and um, then you, uh, you'll never know, right? So don't be afraid to fail. Learn from that as well. Use it as feedback. There's a great speech by Theodore Roosevelt called um, The Man in the Arena. And uh, I'll encourage your listeners to go out and just Google that. The Man in the Arena by Theodore Roosevelt. Um, but he talks about like that courage to get in and get dirty and, uh, mm -hmm. and not be the guy or gal that's sitting in the stands and just criticizing that, that person in the arena. So, um, so, yeah. So enjoy it. Enjoy the ride. I mean, man, mm -hmm. what, a, what a crazy adventure that, that we take on. And um, if I had it to do all over again, I probably would do a lot of the same things because everything that I've done today, I've had with the help of other people, but you know, I've earned it. You know, I've, I've done these things and, and I have a family that's, that's proud of what we've done as a family and what we've committed to. And now the journey that we're on post-military, it's hard to mm -hmm. say that. I mean, I've been retired seven years now. I don't know mm -hmm. Rob been what, eight years or? He's, yes, mm -hmm. yeah, so, about the same time, it's so, crazy. So yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's an amazing journey and it's what life should be about. So seize the opportunity and, and look for people that are willing to help you and, uh, and you'll yeah. achieve greatness. Yeah. And you know, it's so funny cause I have people who will call me and they've had stumbles, like they haven't quite found it or, you know, and they're like, gosh, you know, they share what their story is. That's why I love what I do. I get to hear people will say, don't you get tired of doing the same thing? I'm like, oh no, no, no every single person is different and with every journey 
the struggle is where the beautiful thing happens. If you say, gosh, I don't know what I want to do or I can't, God, I'm still unfulfilled. And you know, those, the pain is when change happens and there is such grace in the stumble and just not being defined by that stumble is what I, you know, I'm really passionate about. And yeah. um, it's interesting because as you know, I've gone through, I can't remember what you're going to be 10 or 11, my podcast um, invariably everyone is kind of saying the same thing. Try failure is not bad, yeah. but our young adults believe they cannot fail. And that is where we learn. I mean, and I love it. The other thing is like, if I ask the question, Hey, would you do it o- over again? No matter everyone's like, no, nope, I wouldn't. And for young adults, it's really hard to hear because they're going, gosh, you know, I'm trying to strategize and, and be so perfect in my steps. And, and it's just not reality. It's not, um, it's just not reality. Yeah. So there's yeah. grace in all of that. It'll be, so. it, I, I just get so excited for young people today. And, you know, um, I, I see just such enthusiasm about something and, you know, watching young people chase it. And by the way, not always some young people, some other people that are willing mm-hmm. to change Mm-hmm. Um, or uh, make a place where they're at different and better. You know, we, we all get the accolades for those. So yeah. good stuff. Well, thank you, Dave, so much. I know you are incredibly busy. And um, I just, you know, I've um, just appreciate your perspective and pontificating. I always <laughs> learn from you. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's just really an honor to get to know you both personally and professionally. So I want everyone to know that if you want to get the podcast um, through our e-blast at the very beginning of the month, because we do them every two weeks, so there's quite a bit of a delay, you can go to whatsmycareerstory.com. Um, and remember, you know, career exploration, there is a process to it. There is a theory to it. And there's psychometricians who created instruments and tests because um, there, there's validity behind them in making the decision, but the conversation that we have and spending that quality time together is where the magic happens. And so, um, just know that, uh, no matter where you are in your career journey, there's, there's ways to make informed decisions. So thanks again, Dave, for very everything. Welcome. Pleasure was mine, Dana. Thank you very much. Always. All right, everybody have a great day and hope you all proceed with confidence. Thank you for listening to what's your career story. If you'd like early access to episodes, you can join us at whatsyourcareerstory.com. If you'd like to learn about career paths, sign up for our monthly newsletter, which is also available at whatsyourcareerstory.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.